0: Well, it's been a big week on the Australian policy front. Federal Energy Minister Chris Bowen announcing the expansion of the Capacity Investment Scheme for Renewables, and we'll explain that shortly. COP28 also starts this week. And with it, negotiations over the details of the Loss and Damages Fund to help support developing nations through the effects of climate change. That came out of the last COP. It's not all gloom and doom, though. New research has found a sliver of hope for our predicament. New research indicating that based on our current trend of investment in green energy and electric vehicles, we could be on track to keep global warming under 1.5 degrees Celsius globally. Our next guest is from the organisation behind that research, Bill Hare. He's a physicist by training and the CEO of Climate Analytics. Welcome, Bill. G'day. Uh, There appear to be three main emphases of the COP this year. The first is the global stocktake. Now, what does that involve, please?
1: Well, the global stocktake is the uh, world's opportunity to check on how we're progressing to implement the Paris Agreement's uh, commitments, Uh, not just emissions, but let's focus on that Um, It's designed to happen every five years and it's a critical part of the Paris Agreement to check whether everything's working and to make course corrections. And this is the first one. So that's what's at stake uh, at COP28. uh,
0: So it's all the countries added together, I gather. So it's, it's a holistic measurement, isn't it?
1: Totally is. It's not about finger pointing at individual countries. It's about putting the whole picture together and saying where are we tracking? Are we tracking in the wrong direction? If so, what's the course correction?
0: Right. Now, the second goal is this global goal on adaptation. What exactly is that?
1: Yeah, the global goal on adaptation is uh, designed to try and set global standards for providing resources to countries to allow them to adapt to the effects of climate change. Uh, as we've seen this year, it, the effects are becoming increasingly severe, hard to cope with, and there's a feeling we need to have a global goal that sets the benchmark for uh, how much resources, uh, not just monetary, that needs to go into adaptation. Like We, we have an emissions goal, right? Uh, halving emissions by 2030,
0: mm-hmm.
1: fairly clear. Adaptation is much more complicated, but there's a feeling we need to have those sort of goals uh, globally, regionally and nationally to provide guidance to countries as to what they need to be doing and to how much resources, if they're a poorer country, they need to do it.
0: Gosh, I don't want to get stuck on this, but that sounds so tricky and diffuse, Bill. How uh, you well, know... actually,
1: it, 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 it is, and I, I, we won't be agreeing a global goal on adaptation this year. And still, the form of it's being much discussed, including by experts. But there is progress being made, and a lot of countries are focusing on their national and regional goals to build up into a global goal.
0: Okay. Now, the third focus is this loss and damages fund that we saw come out of the last COP, which was held in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. Our understanding is the shape of the fund has been designed by a transitional committee over this past year, and participating countries just have to come to an agreement on the finer details at this COP. Is that right?
1: Well, look, basically the transitional committee met spent five times this year, and my understanding is from the politics of it that the the shape of the fund has been agreed. I don't think any country uh, I'm aware of is going to reopen um, the decisions or the recommendations, I should say, of the transitional committee to set up this fund. I think that's pretty much a done deal. Um, There were concerns that some countries had reservations about the decisions, but diplomatically they've communicated that they will not be reopening it. I think that's a very positive development. The the, The loss and damage fund is something first proposed I can recall in 1991 in Geneva by the Alliance for Small Island States. It's been a long time coming. And the last years have shown just how critical it's going to be, to provide resources to countries to overcome um, the damage that goes beyond adaptation, loss and damage to their um, their livelihoods uh, and their cultures due to uh, ongoing rapid climate change.
0: Now, the decision to use the World Bank as the financial intermediary fund was met with some scepticism. Why was that?
1: Well, look, to say the least, the World Bank's had a a very chequered history on climate change, and uh, many developing countries are rightly very concerned about the delivery uh, capabilities of the World Bank in this area um, and uh, wanted something uh, much more streamlined, Uh, that would be more attuned to their needs. So I think very legitimate concerns there. The World Bank uh, under new leadership has worked very hard to overcome that, but there's a very long multi-decade legacy of concerns about this. So I think this is an interim arrangement and we'll see how it is going forward.
0: Okay. Now there has been some comment on the fact that um, the president of this COP in the UAE, Sultan al-Jaber, has... uh, pretty, well, some might see it as a significant conflict of interest in that he's chief executive of ADNOC, which is their, the state energy company. Now, how do you see it?
1: Look, I think um, nearly anyone looking at the situation would think there's a there's a potential conflict of interest, right? And uh, the other thing to say is that algebra is someone who wants to achieve things. Um, and I guess, despite reservations, you would have to say, let's see what he actually delivers at the COP. And I'm one of those that share real concerns about the involvement of the fossil fuel industry in this COP. But I think we need to see how he plays this out. I mean, history will judge him very badly if what he delivers to this COP is a deal for the fossil fuel industry and not one for the planet. So I think he's becoming aware of it. The bigger questions around the Al-Jabba COP, the, the Emirates COP, are about, are the presidency of this COP focused on the real hard outcomes that need to be made here, or are they focused on more of a circus of activities around the COP in order to create a good impression? Mm. I think that's one of the dynamics I'm seeing on, in, uh, for, for the upcoming COP.
0: We should just um, let listeners know that, I mean, earlier this year, ADNOC lowered its net zero target from 2050 to 2045. So, in other words, good news. Um, but that is the most ambitious emissions reduction target of any oil and gas company globally. So, naturally, people have said, well, you know, what does it amount to? So, y- you're saying you're standing back and watching. Is
1: that a fair comment? Well, look, I, I, I think you could all. Also, I I wouldn't be so positive about the ADNOC announcements either because when you unpack that, it doesn't amount to hilo beans in action. And uh, also they're investing billions and billions in more fossil fuel production, right? So I'm very sceptical about those announcements. They they look very much to me like greenwashing.
0: Okay. Well, let's wait and see. Now, let's get to this very interesting work, uh, research that uh, Climate Analytics has done, um, the need to stay under 1.5 degrees of Celsius of overall warming of the planet. We all know that that's the aim. Now, what did your organisation find about how we're heading?
1: Yeah, look, it's a good question. Um, we asked ourselves, can we still peak Emissions by 2025, and we looked at the emissions and thought, "My goodness, that doesn't look doesn't look like it can happen." But we we showed actually by analyzing what's happening with the very large rate of renewable rollout going on globally, and looking at other options, including cutting methane emissions and so on from oil and gas, that actually it can be done. Um, that there's a very big change in the energy system going on globally, where renewables are beginning to overtake fossil fuels. And that we're getting to a tipping point. So when you put those numbers together, it's not far away, but 2023 could be the peak year of emissions. Contemporaneously, other analysts have come out with very similar analyses. Um, the International Energy Agency is uh, recently out there as well. So it is, ac- it is actually possible that we could peak emissions. The, the trick then, if we can do that, would then be to get emissions dropping quickly, because what we see after 2025 is emissions plateauing, and they need to halve by 2030. But we and others have also showed that can be done as well, also with renewables. We didn't look, for example, at the additional effect of the rapid rollout of electric vehicles, growing at staggering rates um, in China, for example, uh, and energy efficiency, which is also picking up momentum in places. So. The positive side of the picture is we can peak emissions by 2025 if we keep the momentum going and take action in areas which have languished for a long time, like methane from the oil and gas industry. But we're going to have to do a lot further and faster work in order to get onto the one and a half degree pathway.
0: Yeah, your, your report says China's uptake of renewables is a key factor driving this peak in 2023. Why is that so?
1: Well, China's had a long history of rolling out renewables and it's had a long history of rolling out coal-fired power plants at a massive rate. So um, everyone's been very concerned about watching what's going on in China, but the the growth rate of renewables deployment um, in China is just absolutely staggering. They're several years ahead of their 2025 targets already, similarly on electric vehicles. So it's clearly a strategic judgment that the Chinese are making that this is the future. I know we're in our region we're very worried about the geopolitics of China, but um, as you know from the arrangements the Americans and others are doing with China, they are work, still working together uh, with others to try and bring the climate change problem under control. So I think it, it stems from that, but we're also seeing a very rapid renewable uh, rollout going on in other parts of the world.
0: Right. They're still one of the biggest emitters in the world, aren't they, though?
1: Totally. Um, it, it's, again, one of those situations that, we're getting to see um, the rate of new wind and solar photovoltaic electric capacity outgrowing the um, growth in fossil fuel capacity. When you pass that point, then emissions will begin to drop and, and can drop quickly.
0: Gee, that's um, just terrific yeah. news, isn't it, To hear Really uh, terrific news. However, I just want to finish with this really significant, I think, announcement by the Albanese government via its Minister Chris Bowen that um, they want to expand the capacity investment scheme because we're worried about reaching the 82% clean energy goal by 2030. So can you just explain this, please, for listeners, what they're actually undertaking?
1: Yeah, look, um, the federal government's basically trying to reset its renewable energy policy for the power sector. Formerly, we had the renewable energy target for 2020. It was not replaced. There was no other policy framework. Renewable investment has languished. And now they've put in capacity investment auctioning system, uh, uh, like systems that have worked elsewhere in the world, that would then auction a certain amount of capacity every six months, I believe, until 2027 um, to to get the right amount of capacity in the Australian grid to get to the 82% uh, renewable target by 2030. Absolutely critical for Australia. So, I mean, I know there are there are concerns about that um, from some quarters of the renewable energy industry, but it is a major reset. But well, they've Absolutely basically sort of underwritten. Said.
0: They've sort of said, um, "We will make sure that you're not short of capital. If you plunge the capital in, and you don't quite yes. get the the return you imagine, we will be yeah. there to support you. Equally, if you make a profit, we will take the profit. That that's a so it's really to sort of encourage people to put uh, their capital, their money, where their mouth is. Is that a fair comment?
1: That's a fair comment. I mean, I would have preferred a straight up and down regulatory approach. It would have been more certain, but this this could work and it will help overcome some of the problems caused by competition with the United States um, IRA Act. Um, so that, that's one thing. You know, the, the really big problem in Australia is actually gas. Um, and that's what I don't understand where the government's going. I think this renewable energy target's absolutely critical for Australia to meet. It's about the only thing going on. In Australia, on the on the climate policy front, frankly, um, because the safeguard mechanism itself isn't going to really reduce emissions. They're not yet. Well, it, well, it is, isn't
0: it? It's just maybe not fast enough for you. But I mean, it n- is going no, to reduce. No, I, I think
1: I think the the critical problem with the safeguard mechanism is it allows industries um, to offset their emissions. So on, it sounds like emissions should be reducing, but when you unpack the details, then. Uh, Companies can buy forest credits and keep on emitting, even increasing emitting. That's the challenge. And we know uh, that that doesn't work. Uh, I think hardly any other countries in the world allow that. You're Um, sure you're not letting the best
0: be the enemy of the good?
1: Uh, Look, that's a great slogan in Australia, but my goodness, it doesn't work when it comes to climate change. It's going to add more carbon dioxide to the atmosphere and more warming. Um, That's going to be the consequence. Um, It will lead to more extreme events like we're seeing in Perth right now, my home city, um, it's it's really not going to work for the long run.
0: All right. Well, look, this is, I shall be very interested to see what emerges from this COP, uh, from this uh, apparently astonishing boom that is underway in the UAE too. Uh, so it'll be an interesting time for you. Thank you very much for that analysis. Thank you. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines.